Hi, my name is David Rice, and in this podcast, we are going to speak on the subject of God sends a strong delusion. God, not the devil, not the government, but God Almighty sends a delusion. Let's start with 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 9. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God, Almighty Jehovah, Yahweh, God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God, sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. In Matthew 24:24, Jesus says, For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. Now, King James sort of messed that verse up because of their strong belief in predestination. The Bible says, and Jesus says, if it, if it is possible, if it's possible to deceive the elect, the King James translators threw in, if it were, it were. And if you say, if it were possible, the indication in English is that it is not possible. But that is not what Jesus said. That's not what the Greek says. What it says is, if possible. Here it says, For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. And there's no indication there that it is not possible. If it is possible, if possible, even the elect. And so we know that there will be false prophets, and we know there is someone coming whom the Bible speaks of as at least once the Antichrist, one who is called the man of sin, the man of rebellion, a word Uh, whose root is tied to Apollo, the rebellious one, the rebel, is Apollo. And so you could say Apollo is coming when Apollo comes, when the man of sin comes. Let's talk about deception here. Let's start out by saying or asking, how many born-again Bible-believing saints of God do you know who are in the slightest danger of being deceived by either Joe Biden or uh, Xi Jinping? Uh, Seriously, how many born-again Bible-believing, church-going 
Christians could be deceived by Joe Biden or by the president of China. How many of them? I don't know any. I don't think any born-again Christian, now there may be some people out there who call themselves Christian. There are a lot more people who are uh, sort of self, uh, self-appointed self Christians, they call themselves Christians, than there are people who are actually born again and have a real living relationship with Jesus Christ. But I don't know anybody who would be fooled, any Christian that I know of, who would be fooled by somebody like Joe Biden. But let me ask another question. How many born-again Bible-believing saints of God do you know who might be deceived by a nice, moral, flag-waving pagan who promised to protect the church and was offering life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness not only to Americans, but to the whole world? What, what if that man loved Israel and spoke of his love and admiration for Israel? What if he brokered a peace deal between Israel and her Arab neighbors? What if he did away with all of the mandated inoculations? What if he cured the supply chain, provided cheap food and gas all across the nation, and it started growing, spread all around the world? What about that? What if he stood against abortion and the LGBTQ alphabet? What if he went to church and even celebrated Christmas? Now, how many born-again Bible-believing saints of God do you know who might be deceived? I would say that's a large number, probably more than half. Maybe even 80 or 90 percent of the Christians I know would be fooled by a moral, Israel-loving, right-wing, God-fearing, supposedly, pagan, not born again, not saved, doesn't know Jesus from a hole in the ground, but he's a nice guy and he believes in moral law and he believes in the family, and he makes all kinds of promises to make everything right, I think most of the people I know would be deceived. Now, if you don't know me and haven't followed me for a while, you may not understand this, but let me explain something to you before we go on to some other subjects. One of those things is, uh, that I am not a detail-oriented pe- person, not a detail-oriented person at all. I thank God for the people who are. I thank God for the people who know every single ingredient in the poisonous inoculation. I thank God for them, but I don't know that. I am in for the big picture. And I want to share with you and with the world the big picture. It is way too easy to get bogged down in this detail and this detail and the other detail and just get totally overwhelmed by all of the details. That's not me and that's not what we're going to do here. 
If you want to get into the details, be my guest. That may be your way of doing things, but you need to stop for a minute, back off from the little bitty stuff that you're looking at, and start looking at the big picture. And let me help you with that. Today we're going to speak, and we we have spoken about Scripture and about what is going to happen And we know that Scripture says that the man of sin will come with great power and with great deception. He's going to deceive many. He will deceive, if possible, the elect. He is going to be a great deceiver. Now, if you watch the movies, you saw a lot of deception in the movies. Because in the movies, this guy comes on as an evil, mean, ugly, nasty guy from day one. He wouldn't fool a Christian in the world. That's the movie Antichrist. But the Bible Antichrist, on the other hand, comes in with a deception so great that even the saints might be fooled by this man. And he comes with miracles. Later on in the Bible, we're told that he calls down fire from heaven. Now, only one prophet in all of Scripture was ever able to call down fire from heaven. And this guy is the devil's prophet, the devil's Messiah. He is Satan's Messiah. But even so, he calls down fire from heaven in the presence of the people. And people are just in awe. And this guy comes in with all the answers. The whole world is falling apart. The entire world is falling apart. There's, the money doesn't work. There's no supply chain. There's no food. There's no electricity, there's no gasoline, there's no heating oil, there's no nothing. And this great man of sin, this man of rebellion, comes in with miracles and power. And man, in just a few weeks, there's food in the grocery store, there's gas at the gas station. There's heating oil in the tank behind your house and you didn't even have to pay for it. And you're warm and you're comfortable. And this guy is telling you how life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is his goal for the whole world. He has this goal of spreading the dream that was America. You remember the 1950s kind of dream of America, the Ozzie and Harriet thing. Not just for the United States, but he will provide it to the whole world. He's, he's a wonderful guy. And you know, he goes through about three and a half years before people begin to figure it out. He probably is the one who helps Israel rebuild their temple. But one day he walks into that temple And he sits down as if he were God, and he says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And at that point, all of the remaining Christians who are alive, and all of the Jews, even the unsaved pagan 
ungodly Jews who are not religious and have no respect at all for Jehovah at that point, they recognize him and they go running off into the wilderness and he chases after them and he breaks loose the waters as if he were going to drown them. But God opens a hole and the earth opens and and swallows the water, and the Jews are safe in the wilderness. And we're told that at that point he turns against those children of Abraham who believe in Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God. It tells us that he is given authority and power to make war against the saints and to overcome them. And he is given authority over every tribe and tongue and nation in the whole world. He's there. By that time, people know he's evil, but for most of them, it's way too late because they already have the mark of the beast and they are unsavable. Yes, they are. Now, we're talking about scripture there. We're going to get into some conjecture in a little bit. We're going to talk about headlines, and when headlines meet the scripture, we're going to talk about some extra-biblical books like Jubilees, Jasher, and Enoch, which, while they aren't scripture, have a lot of very interesting detail. And so let's start talking about how we got where we are and who the major players are and here we're going to start with a little conjecture and we'll go back and forth and you can figure out what scripture because I'll quote it and if I don't say God says or thus saith the Lord or the Bible says here then you can figure it's David's ideas and David's conjecture and David is not a prophet David is an observer. David is a watchman on the wall. David is paying attention to what's going on in the world. But David has been wrong and can be wrong. But the purpose of sharing conjecture is to get you to think. Because if you don't think, you are going to be among the deceived. Because this man of sin is going to come in as a wonderful hero, and you are going to like him. You're going to like him. He's going to be very likable. And I don't know who he is. Some people say Donald Trump will come back. Some people are looking at Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida. Some people are looking at a lot of different people. I don't know. But I know he's going to come in in a very deceptive, deceitful manner as the answer man. And we have in Genesis 6 a phrase, and after. We're talking about Nephilim here. Let's talk about Nephilim, okay? So Genesis 6 and verse 4 says, the Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward. Pay attention to that. And also afterward. Not just before the flood, but also after the flood. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward 
when the sons of God came into the daughters of man and they bore children to them, these were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. These were your Greek and Egyptian gods. This was Isis and Osiris and Horus. This was Thor and Apollo. These were the Nephilim. These were the mighty men of old. And we know that both from the scripture and from the book of Enoch and from some things in Jubilee and Jasher and from other historical books, we have the connection. And it's a pretty solid connection between the Titans and the Nephilim. Just a different word for the same people. When you look at a program about Superman or Batman or Thor or any of the Titans on TV or in the movies, you are watching Nephilim. These are the children of fallen angels and human women. And their children go on forever. Their children remain with us today. They came in. Let's look at them after that. In Numbers 13.33, the spies have just come back from spying out the promised land and they're making a report to the people and they're all scared and they're all shook up. Now, my professor told me that they were just imagining that these were giants. No, they weren't imagining anything. These were giants. You're going to look it up. The Bible doesn't say they thought or they imagined. The Bible says they were giants. Numbers 13.33, you got it? And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak who come from the Nephilim, and we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seem to them. And then later on, even in David's day, we had Goliath, and Goliath had five brothers. Well, the giant thing sort of faded out, but we have giants and giant skeletons that were found in, in America, in the United States. And all around the world, they found skeletons and the remains of a giant breed of men. But just because they quit being giants does not mean that they totally went away. They didn't go away. And the reason they didn't go away is that Moses didn't do what he was told. Now, you have to understand that Moses' wife, Moses' wife was from a tribe that had Nephilim in it. Nephilim, in the family of Moses. His wife was Zipporah. Her father was the high priest, and that was not a high priest of God. That was no Jewish high priest. He was a high priest of Midian. He was a Midianite. She was a Midianite. And we know and understand from Scripture that the Midianites had Nephilim blood in them. God commanded Moses, saying, Kill them all. Dedicate them to destruction. and Kill them all. And Moses sent off his soldiers 
with instructions to kill every living thing. Now, that's not cruel. These Nephilim were not human. They were not savable. There was no salvation available to them. There is still no salvation available to anyone who is uh, related to the Nephilim. No salvation there. Because they were not human. They were mixed race. They were part fallen angel and part human. And Moses said, kill them all. But when they came back, they had some of the cattle. They had some of the animals. They had young people, boys and girls and men and women. And, and Moses looked out at him and said, what did you do that for? But Moses should have said, go ahead and kill them all. But Moses didn't say that. Moses said, you need to kill all the men and boys. And you need to kill all the women who have had sex, who slept with a man. But all the little virgin girls and young virgin ladies, you just take them for yourselves and go have a party. And so Midianite blood was joined together with Jewish blood. And it continued through, and it continues through some of them to this day. Let's talk about the Rothschild family. Meyer Rothschild, way back, 1700s. Meyer Rothschild was what we call a court Jew. I don't think there are any court Jews left, but there were up through the 1700s and maybe even into the 1800s when the royal families reigned supreme in Europe. And it goes all the way back to Babylon and Babylonian mysticism. It goes back to Daniel. Daniel was probably the original and the first court Jew. He was an advisor to the king of Babylon. And so in Europe, they had a habit and they had a custom and every king, every ruling queen had a court Jew. And these court Jews would be called in at every major intersection in government. Whatever was happening, if there was a new war threatening, whatever was going on, if the money was going bad, whatever was happening, they would call in the court Jew and say, All right, Jew. What does your God say about this situation? And there was a guy named Meyer Rothschild. And he was a court Jew and a jeweler by trade, but he was a court Jew. He was a guy who the king called in and said, would you give me some advice on this situation or on that situation? Rothschild, you know the name. They still own all the banks. Rothschild, because of his connection with the king, became very, very wealthy. But Rothschild was convinced that he and his wife were heavy in Nephilim blood, that this Midianite blood, this Nephilim blood, had come down through history to their family, and he 
He was a bit of a Satanist, and he had a relationship with the devil. And the devil told him that he had all of this supernatural Nephilim blood. And so he came up with a plan, and he had all of his children marry their first cousins. And then when their children were born and grew up, he had all of his grandchildren marry first cousins. And by doing so, the devil told him, you will concentrate Nephilim blood into your family. And that family, believe it or not, remains to this day the wealthiest family on earth. And there are, I am told, about seven families which are very heavy into that blood. And then there are further families that spread out. We found out a few years ago an amazing thing that all but one of the presidents of the United States were related with King John of England. It's all a big family deal. We found out that Obama and Clinton are cousins, and so are all the rest. Even Bush is a cousin of Obama and of Clinton and of George Washington. They're all a family. And they're all related to the families that are related to Moses and the Midianites and Nephilim blood. And yes, I cannot prove this. Yes, I cannot prove this. This is conjecture, some of it. But some of it is provable. In fact, you can check your history books and find out about the Nephilim blood and the Rothschilds. You can find out that he had his children marry their first cousins and that all of his grandchildren married first cousins. And you can find out that they remain today the wealthiest family in the world. And they're openly, openly into witchcraft. The current Rothschild, his his wife used to run around to all the parties wearing a pentagram, a huge gold pentagram with the old, the idol and all that stuff on it, all the Baal idol thing. She went to all the parties decked out in satanic gear. And they are Jewish by blood. They are, according to them and their family websites, they are Catholic by religion, but in truth, they are satanic. They are satanic, and that's the truth. These people control all of the central banks in all of the world. Do you know that it's not Chinese who own the central bank in Beijing? You know who it is? It's the Rothschilds and some of their Jewish friends. Do you know the same people own the central bank in Washington, D.C., and the central bank in Jerusalem, and the central bank in the Vatican, the central bank in the city of London? Yeah, same families, same people, and just a few people control all of the money in the world, and they control all of the politicians because they control the money. 
And he who controls the money controls the political world and the political realm. And these people see themselves as so high. They are higher and better than anybody else. And they and their families are it. And everybody else in the world is sort of a useless eater. And there are a few who are good enough to serve them as servants and to take care of their needs. But it seems, at least according to the Georgia Guidestones, and if you don't know about the Georgia Guidestones, I'm not going into them now, but you can go look them up. And according to the Georgia Guidestones and a lot of other people, their their plan is to reduce the world population to about 500 million, half a billion people. And to do that, they have got to kill six and a half billion people. But they figure that about 500 million people is enough to serve as servants and feed them and take care of their needs. And so they want to get rid of everybody else. And so they invented a green deal, a green new deal. They invented the the story that, that Gaia, Mother Earth, is, is hurting and desperate and that overpopulation is causing global warming or global freezing or global change or whatever it is. And somehow if we don't get rid of a lot of people, And if we don't change and all become quiet little slaves sitting at home doing nothing, all of us who live, then we're going to ruin the whole world. Did you ever notice that everything the devil does is exactly the opposite of God Almighty? God said, take dominion. God said, go out in the earth, fill the earth and take dominion. And Satan says, kill the people, lower the population, and let the earth run itself, by itself, without any help from people. That's where it's at. And from here comes inoculations and diseases and plagues. And you better believe that the plague was invented in order to be able to promulgate inoculations and not the other way around. No, it's not the other way around. It isn't. They needed an excuse to just jab everybody. They needed a reason. They needed an excuse to do that. And they're doing that. And the whole purpose is to lower the population so that they get down to a group that's small enough that they as the elite, they as those who still carry the Nephilim blood, they as the higher upper class, a small enough group of people that they can manage them all. And they're going to put a mark so they can manage you and they're going to merge you with a machine so that all they have to do is hit a button on their computer and you will do whatever they want you to do. And they didn't even have to talk to you. They just hit a button on their computer. 
Or they just spoke to their computer and said, hey, computer, I need 120 people to come out of that area and bring all of their food and deliver it to the front gate right now. And the computer will hit 120 buttons and 120 people will stop what they're doing, pick up baskets, fill them with food, and walk straight to the gate and drop it off because there'll be human two, humankind, mankind number two, version two, and they will do whatever they're told to do. And yes, they'll have a mark. But you need to think about anything, be it mass or the next step or the next step or the next step. The Bible speaks of a mark without which you cannot buy or sell. And there is considerable argument over what if what has already been done constitutes a mark or not. And I don't know whether it does or not, but I know one thing for sure, that when they told me that without this thing I could not buy or sell every alarm bell in my spirit, every alarm bell in my body from the top of my head to the tip of my toe started going off and there were loud screaming alarms all over me. They're telling you if you don't do this, you can't buy or sell. That's biblical, boy. That's biblical. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Because the second they start telling you that you have to do it in order to buy or sell, every alarm in your body should go off. You should understand what's going on. And at this point, everything's falling apart. I mean, you're hearing, let's go Brandon everywhere. And the whole world is being shifted. I was watching the news last night and again this morning, just a little bit of it. And they're beginning to shift. Boy, at first it was all protective of Biden and his group and his belief and of the socialists. And all of a sudden, we're seeing lots of news stories about people who are objecting. And we have a governor here in Florida where I am who is objecting and suing the government and there are huge groups of people out walking in the streets and protesting against Joe Biden and his policies. And the left and the right is standing up and the election's coming and it looks like, and we could be wrong again, but it looks like we're going to have a right-wing swing. And I'm telling you what's going to happen. And you can call it conjecture if you like. But I want you to think about this. The Antichrist, or another word for Christ is Messiah. Christ is Greek. Messiah is Hebrew. Same word, same idea, exactly. And so you can call him the Anti-Messiah. He is coming as a Messiah, as a Christ, as one who has come to save you. And I'll tell you this, you call it conjecture if you want, but you think about it. He is going to be right wing. 
He's going to be Republican. He's going to love Israel. He's going to promise to protect the church. He's going to promise to restore morality. He's going to promise to restore the family because the family is going to be all important again. He's going to have a list of rules that sound just like they came out of Sunday school. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. And he's going to be a righteous-looking guy. Now, he's not going to believe in Jesus, and if you ask him if he ever repented of his sins, he's going to say, No, I don't need to repent of my sins. You know, I just start over again and do better the next time. Why, why would I repent of my sins? And they're going to ask him, is Jesus Christ your Savior? And he's going to say, no. But all of the prophets in the big churches are going to proclaim that he is Savior and that he is God's man for the hour sent to rescue you. And you're going to believe him. And because we already have three-quarters of the population sick and dying as a result of their own stupidity. We have probably at least half of the people in the United States are going to be dead in three or four years. So when this new Messiah comes in, he will stop the mandatory inoculations. Oh, it's just voluntary now because he won't need to kill any more people. He'll need to save those who are still living alive. But by the time he comes in, Biden will have absolutely killed the economy and the dollar and the world's stock markets, and there will be no money and there will be no supply chain and nobody will have anything, and people will be starving, and people will be hungry. But what do you do if the dollar doesn't work? What do you do if the dollar doesn't work? What if dollars are as worthless as the Venezuelan Bolivar? What if people are like they did in Caracas, just throwing their money in the street? because you couldn't hire a truck big enough to carry enough bills to buy a loaf of bread. And it's going to get that bad. And the new Messiah is going to come in and say, we have to go to a digital currency, folks. And I hate to say this, but the only way a digital currency is going to work is if you get this little mark. And while you're getting the mark, I want you to carefully read this Pledge of Allegiance to our new government. And you just, you don't have to bow down or none of that stuff. You just, you just sign right here on the paper saying you agree with the Pledge of Allegiance. And then you stand over here with this group of people and you repeat it. Yeah. It's just a Pledge of Allegiance. But if you don't make the Pledge of Allegiance, you don't get the mark. And if you don't get the mark, you don't get to buy or sell. And you've already been through that. I mean, man, look at you. 
You let yourself be jabbed. You let yourself be told you had to wear a mask. You wore a mask so you could buy or sell. You got jabbed so you could buy or sell. This is just one more step. Now you just have to take this little shot. And you take this little thing and you get all jabbed up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then you can buy and sell. And you know what? There are a million people, or maybe more than that, in the United States who self-identify as Christian, who will tell you they are Christian. Maybe there's several million who will tell you that they are Christian, but they will have absolutely nothing against taking that little mark. I mean, what else are you supposed to do if you don't get the mark? You don't eat. And I mean, if you can't trust the government, who can you trust? What do you mean God could feed me? God? Are you kidding me? You mean like, like God's going to deliver food to my door? Let me tell you something. Let me encourage you. And no, I don't believe in a pre-trib fire escape. I watched all the movies. Man, I watched all the movies. I, you know what? That rapture always happens in the movies before any American Christian ever has to suffer. Man, they may be dying for Jesus all over the world, but God is going to rapture the church before any American Christian has to suffer. I saw it in the movie. I read it in the book. Man, it's got to be true. But listen to me, it isn't true. There's nothing in all of Scripture. You can go online and find several websites where they've got money in the bank offering thousands of dollars for anybody who can come up with even one verse of Scripture that places a rapture before the tribulation. Is God going to take his entire witness out? Leave the world with no witness? No, he's not going to do that. But I will tell you this, God can take care of you. I was a missionary. I've been down in the middle of nowhere, Venezuela. And let me tell you one fast story and we'll close because I want to encourage you. And we were down there and we were out of money and my little tiny $200 a month support check hadn't come in and it was late and there was no money and our refrigerator was empty and we had nothing. And we had a baby and we had nothing to eat. And my wife Kathy and I sat at the table and we prayed. And we hadn't prayed about two minutes when the there was a knock on the door and Kathy was closer to the door and she jumped up and went and opened the door. There was our neighbor. Bless her heart. And I will never forget what that woman said. She had a big pan of food in her hand. She said, Kathy, I don't know why, but I cooked too much of this. Can y'all use it? And that's just one example, but hundreds of times in my lifetime, God has out of nowhere provided everything we needed. And if you will follow Jesus and you need Jesus now more than you have ever needed him, you need Jesus. 
But I will tell you this, if you will follow Jesus, and if you will say no to the devil, if you'll say no to this world, then I'll tell you what's going to happen. God is going to meet every need you have. You might not be comfortable. You might not be warm. It might not be nice like it used to be. But God will meet every need. And if you're going to be a martyr, he will stand with you even then and you will have the greatest peace you ever had. Even at the moment of your death. Whatever happens, if you'll stick with Jesus, Jesus will stick with you. But I want you to get the big picture, man. This goes back to Nimrod, who was a Gabor, a Nephilim. They said in some of the other books out of the Bible, it said that he was too... He was three quarters fallen angel and one quarter human. I don't know if that's true or not. But he was said to be a Gabor, one of the great men of old. And God tore down his tower. And God separated all of the languages and tribes and tongues and nations. The devil's been working ever since. You read your history book through Egypt, through Greece, through Rome, through every empire there's ever been, through the day when it was said that the sun never set on the British Empire, Satan has been trying. And through the United States of America, he tried to bring people from all nations under one language, under one culture, one people, out of many one. And that's still what he's trying to do, and that's what the New World Order is all about. But it's a big picture. It includes fallen angels and Nephilim and, and alien blood, and it's a huge picture. But when you begin to comprehend this huge picture, pretty soon you can figure out what's coming next. If you know what Plato wrote, if you know what Sir Francis Bacon wrote, if you knew what the if you know what the the founding fathers of America believed, if you know what the Jesuits and the Masons believed, then you'll know what's coming. And if you don't, it's time to do your homework. God bless you. Let's pray. Lord bless these your people. Help them to understand the big picture. All of it, from the day the angels came down, slept with human women through Nimrod, through Greece, through Rome, through the Jesuits, through the Masons, through the Founding Fathers, to the New World Order and the World Health Organization and the United Nations. Help them to see how it's all tied together. It's not a bunch of little stories. It's not a bunch of little disconnected stories. It's one big story. And in the end, you win. Lord, give them the faith and the confidence to understand that they win. And in 10 or 12 or 15 years, they're going to be ruling and reigning with you. 
somewhere out of that Jerusalem. Yes, they are. And new bodies, forever bodies, healed bodies, healthy bodies with every brain cell in their head alive and working. Lord bless your people. In Jesus' name, amen.